welcome to Wrestling and Everything Coast to Coast with your host, Buddy Satello Esquire and Evan Ginsberg. Would you like to introduce our guest this week, Evan? Absolutely. He's my friend. He's a wrestling journalist, and I mean that in the best way. Not one of these guys who's obsessing over Roar and SmackDown, but rather a writer who writes about pro wrestling's great history for ProWrestlingStories.com and our mutual friend J.P. Zarka. He's sporting that T-shirt there. He is Jim Phillips. How are you tonight, Jim? I'm doing good. How are you doing this evening, brothers? Thank you, and uh, thank you for having it a, a, a night later than we normally do. Last night I was uh, stuck on a major paperwork project that I couldn't get out of. I finally stopped working around 8 o'clock at night, so I appreciate your flexibility. Normally we record on Saturday. And at least one person, at least my brother, said, hey, what happened to your show? So we do have at least one fan that misses our Saturday uh, Saturday productions. But uh, welcome to the show. We're, we're big fans of Pro Wrestling Stories. As uh, Evan uh, noted before, we were, had the pleasure of J.P. Zarka being on our show before, and uh, he was really a fantastic guest. So I'm really looking forward to having your contributions on the show today. I want to say thank you for having me. I've always got time to sit down and talk shop with my brothers. Well, that's what we're here to talk about with you, too. So can you tell me your start in Pro Wrestling Stories when you first started writing for Pro Wrestling Stories? Pro Wrestling Stories and JP had been uh, talking to me for a long time. I was working with the gorilla position at the time, and one of their lead writers over there, senior editor for Classic Wrestling, and I had had conversations with JP and one thing led to another, and Gorilla Position came up for acquisition. And uh, Pro Wrestling Stories got the website, and I followed through with Gorilla Position to those guys. And, man, JP is such a great guy. I'm really happy to be over there working with him. Yeah, that's great. So tell me about how you started as a wrestling writer. What, was, what made you start writing about wrestling? Well... I've been a wrestling fan ever since I was, man, kindergarten, younger. I cut my teeth on the old ICW promotion, which was not far from where I grew up. And just growing up around the product, and I've always been creative with the writing. And one thing led to another, and I was doing like a blog about four or five years ago. And the man that owned the gorilla position, Ryan Bowman, another great writer and friend of another mine. friend of the show. Yeah, he's a great guy. And, uh, well... Greatness follows greatness. So, <laughs> and uh, he approached me and he asked me to come on board there and start working with them. And it really kind of ignited the fire in me. And not so much just to be a statistical type of historian, but to tell the story and, and to take people to a place. You know what I mean? And give the love that I have for the business through the work. And it's, it's built from there. And I'm, I've been blessed, really blessed. Well, that's exactly the sort of thing that we are huge fans of. Um, you know, uh, as uh, 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 Evan alluded to earlier, we're not fans of the guys who are, you know, said, you know, on Tuesday afternoon over in the Coliseum, uh, uh, you know, but Buddy Roberts beat uh, 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 John Tolos with a step over toehold. Right. Three minutes and 38 seconds in, you know. We don't care about that sort of thing. I mean, we, we, there's a place for it, but we are so much more interested in these 
outside stories, these things that, that you can't get from just watching a match. Anyone can watch a match and tell you what the finish was, right? But it's what happens before these guys ever step into the ring and what happens to them when the lights are all off and the chairs are all folded up and the ring is put away. That's the sort of thing we find fascinating, or at least I don't mean to talk for, for Evan here, but I think that we, we, we share a fascination for that element of it. Now, uh, tell me about like uh, uh, like some of your earliest stories. Tell me about how your earliest story first came to you and how you developed it. The very first story that I wrote for the Gorilla Position, we titled it, um, I believe it was A Night Like No Other, but it was my very first live wrestling event that I went to with my uncle for ICW at our local Civic Center. And it's ingrained in my memory. And I took the the reader through that moment. I can still smell the popcorn popping and hear the you know what I mean the echoes in the in the civic center stuff like that. You just don't forget. It's 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 like I say. It's ingrained in your memory. And I want to be able to close my eyes and take those people there with me. And that's how it got started. And then the first series that I did was called Road Stories and Ribs. And I mean, come on, who doesn't like a road story or a rib story? And there were so many of those great ones that spun out of that. And then one thing led to another, and I started doing the historical time, and it bloomed from there. See, it, it's, it's interesting to me. The first time I went to wrestling was June 24, 1974, because I'm 103 years old. <laughs> and um, I walked into Madison Square Garden, and what popped into my head and as a writer, when I write for pro wrestling stories, I would tell people, wow, it's in color because my TV was in black and white. <laughs> and, and I was a kid and it, it, it was just awe and wonder. And I don't see a lot of people that can capture that on a page. I see a lot of you know, I'm, I'm not making blanket statements by any means, but I see a lot of the current younger writers just obsessing over angles and, you know, this is happening on Raw and this is leading to the next meaningless pay-per-view. And, and some of the historians are more, you know, dig into the microfiche and give endless results. And, but very few are able to capture what were you feeling? What were you thinking? What does this mean to you in the course of your life? And I inevitably go back to your father, your mother, your grandmother, grandfather, aunt, uncle, whoever it was, who is probably gone by now. They took you for some of the greatest nights and experiences of your life. So these nights have great meaning. And you know, the year my dad died, it was very disconcerting the first time I was at a show without him. You know, it really was, wow, dad would have liked this. Dad would have yeah. liked this. So, you know, wrestling writing is still writing. And I respect guys like you and uh, uh, Javier Oust. I hope, I, I hope I'm pronouncing it correctly. Uh, you know, guys who really can capture these stories as opposed to just a bombardment of information. 
Well, if you're just going to throw out facts and figures, every match is the same match that was the last match as your next match. You know what I mean? It's like, like uh, Buddy said, it's you. You know what's going to happen. It's, it's it's about how you was put on the edge of your seat. You know what I mean? I can still remember my father, and he still does it, and it makes me smile every time I see him watch wrestling. I'll I'll be watching the the wrestling, but I'm also watching him out of the corner of my eye because he's sitting there and he's like this. You know what I mean? And he's getting all involved in it. And then I don't know why they got to cheat like that. I in the back, I'm thinking it's the work, man. And they've got him reeled in. His hurt. You can see it. You know what I mean? And yeah. that's what I love about this business. It's that that personal connection. And and that's exactly what we're talking about. And man, it's it's you can still see it. Whenever I I used to Uber a lot. And people would ask me what I did, you know what I mean? Conversations, stuff in the car. And I would tell them, and inevitably you would get two responses when I said I wrote about professional wrestling. It was either, oh, that wrestling, that fake wrestling, and you know how the reaction to that is. But then the other, you see that gleam in their eye. And it's like you said, Evan, it's, uh, oh, my grandfather and I, I watched that at his house. Or I went there with my uncles or what, you know what I mean? And when there's that personal connection, then you know there's something special there and you can build on that. One book I'd like to recommend is When It Was Real by Nikita Breshnikov. Not that he's Ernest Hemingway, but he captures the feeling, what it was like to be a kid sitting ringside in awe these guys were larger than life. They were Marvel superheroes and villains come to life as a kid. And, and he writes in the book. It's very interesting. I overheard them talking to each other. I was getting a little suspicious. I, you know, I, I didn't know quite what was going on. And, you know, and eventually you're smartened up one way or the other. But the book is wonderful because, you know, he captures what it's like as a kid sitting ringside and experience, as experiencing it as many of us, we were marks as kids. We were looking at this very differently. Yeah. Yeah. Nikita's a great guy. I'm not as close as you are, but yeah, he, I call him a friend. He's a good guy. And he's all, you can see it when you talk about it. Like I say, he's got that, that desire and passion. Oh yeah. Buddy. Yeah. Well, um, I wanted to get back to, uh, you going to see your first match with your uncle. Now, um, was your dad a fan as well? My dad is a big fan, but my dad is, um, he was the, the 50s generation kid TV dad. When he came home from work, he wanted to sit in his recliner and watch his television, and that was his thing, you know what I mean? And as a kid, I wanted to go and get to the matches with him and stuff like that, and it didn't happen as often as I would like, but my uncle is really the guy that, that sown that seed for me. He was wow, a boxer. That's... He was an amateur boxer around St. Louis, and it worked a little bit around the wrestling business growing up. He was an avid bodybuilder and trainer and stuff, so he was smartened up a little bit, but it was a love of, of all that. You know what I mean? The physicality and just all that stuff. It was, I don't know, we, we just cut our teeth on it, man. It was great. So then I would you go back up... and do it again. I would go back and do it again 100 times over. Now, you grew up in the St. Louis area, is that? Is Southern Illinois, about maybe an hour and a half southeast of St. Louis. Okay, and so who did you watch wrestle at that time? Oh, man, we had, we had wrestling at the Chase on St. Louis. Well, this was back before we didn't have cable, so we had the gigantic monstrosity of an antenna on the roof, and you just 
crossed your fingers and hoped that the wind was blowing the signal the right way. So we would get St. Louis wrestling. We would it, sometimes we would catch stuff out of uh, uh, Memphis with Lawler if he was working because they ran St. Louis or uh, Evansville. So they would go up and work Evansville. Sometimes we would get the local TV out of there. But uh, ICW, man, I hate to keep going back to them, but they were on Channel 3, 11 o'clock, every Friday night, man. Well, tell uh, us about them. Yeah, who uh, are the, the bigger wrestlers in ICW? Uh, you're talking the Poffos. Angelo Poffo started the organization, and Lanny, who is a good friend of Evan, and, and, uh, and another writer at Pro Wrestling Stories, and obviously the Macho Man, I mean... We, whenever I was a kid, we all had T-shirts. My uncle got us for Christmas, and I was Macho Man Jr. And the Miser was uh, Angelo Poffo wrestled as the Miser. It was a mass gimmick with the the money's uh, the money signs all over him and the big cape and everything. And yeah, my uncle got us all shirts, and I can remember watching, you know what I mean, the reruns and and just being all into it. And and then uh, whenever uh, Coliseum Video had the WWF videos that would come out. You'd go to the video store, and there would be the big wall of VHS tapes, and you could just pick out one or two, and we would always watch them on the weekends. Yeah, there's great bonding memories, you know what I mean? Not just about wrestling, but about your family. I, I, have, Again, a big, I have a big question. Uh, seeing a very, very young Randy Savage, did you see the greatness? Did you see the potential? Randy Savage was captivating no matter what he was doing. And that... that that's, it's, it was like magic in a bottle, man, to watch that guy work, you know? I remember when uh, him and Pistol Pez Watley was yeah. running an angle. It was Pistol Pez Watley and uh, Randy Savage, and I believe Ron Garvin was in on that too. And it was uh, Ron Garvin was shooting against Macho Man, and it was uh, he was looking for Mrs. Macho Man, and they had Pistol Pez Watley in a box in the middle of the ring all dressed up as a woman. It was just crazy fun stuff. And... Uh, uh, Crusher Broomfield started there, and that was a uh, one-man gang for people that might know him better there, George Gray. Um, great, great wrestler, great worker. A lot of guys went through there. Bob Roop, so many greats. Roop was incredible, and it's a shame he didn't get that, you know, WWWF forum or whatever back in the day because he was as great as anybody and I saw Pez many times with the NWA in Philly, and uh, he was underrated, too. He was tremendous, Pez. I interviewed Bob Roop for one of my wrestling series. It was Life Through the Lens, and he was the wrestlers. I talked to him about how the business affected their life and different things. And Bob Roop is, should have a book coming out soon. He wrestled in front of Saddam Hussein in Iraq when Saddam Hussein was, like, running things over there and... It was, yeah, he's got a, an amazing story to tell. That's one of the things that, as a writer, I feel like I've been blessed because, as you guys said at the beginning, you want to be able to look behind Oz's curtain and see the gears turn, you know what I mean? So to be able to talk to these guys and hear the, their real-life stories about how it affected them and different things, I've been blessed to be able to hear that and, and bring it to other people and open their eyes about it. John McGuire an amazing example of that. I reached out to John and and kind of reignited a fire in him, and and he has launchpad himself so much. He's he's got this book out now, um, My Life in Heaven Town. I was yeah. able to get AJ the introduction. Yeah, that's how buddy. 
Yeah. Oh yeah. man, he's yeah. You just mentioned all these friends of the show. It's it's wonderful that you're connected to all these folks. Yeah, he's great. It is. It's it's a it's a. I look at it as a family. And I had a person tell me one time, and I'm not going to name drop, but it's a person in in the interview business. Tell me one time that these people are just they they'll buy and sell. They come and go. They're not your friend. They're just there to hit the spot and leave. And I don't look at it like that. I want to be able to make a connection and find those stories that they're not going to tell at a thousand podcasts and interviews and signings. You know what I mean? You got to, I don't know, for me, it's, it's a different level. How do you get people to say those things? How do you, how do you elicit that from, from somebody? What's your strategy to get people to say that sort of thing? I've got a, a little bit different interview style. Like right now we're having an ebb and flow conversation. And whenever I go into one of my interviews, I put a call recorder on and I tell the people that I'm interviewing, I'm not going to give you a dry question and answer because I'm not going to, all I'm going to get is the top 10 hit responses that you give everybody else. I want to know things about the business and about how it affected your life, but it's also about being engaged and asking questions off of what they're talking about, following up with what they're saying a little bit and not just thank you. Yes. What's next? You know what I mean? You, but I, I mean, I'm, I'm a mark at heart. I want to know, you know what I mean? And, you know, that's one thing that I really appreciate about you is that you use the word mark and it's not an insult. You know, I think we've got to a certain level at which mark being a mark was a bad thing and that people aren't supposed to 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 fess up that they love professional wrestling or that they love the storytelling that goes on. It, it became a swear word to call someone a mark. I think that if more people loved the art and storytelling of professional wrestling, we wouldn't be going through the downtime that we're going through right now with the creativity. And I know everybody wants to jump on creative in, in wrestling right now, but I think it's it comes from the heart, man. And I'm not saying that the current workers don't love the business. Obviously, they do. But I'm thinking somewhere that connection's been lost. You know, the great stories aren't being told anymore, in my opinion. Well, you have TV writers instead of wrestling bookers for the most part. And, you know, these guys are coming from Hollywood. And let's have a soap opera. You know, this guy's marrying this, uh, you know, woman wrestler. And it's just silly as opposed to, oh, my God, this guy did him wrong. And the face is going to get revenge and you're emotionally invested. The last, the last time I was really invested in... You know, a wrestling angle, I believe, was when Daniel Bryan was climbing to the top because he was a, a smaller guy. He was the underdog. This is going back six, seven years already. Yeah. I, ha I really haven't been emotionally invested. I'll still see a great match, New Japan or whatnot, and thoroughly enjoy it. But to really care, is this guy going to win or lose, is few and far between. Well... The WWE Network is one of the, I'm, I don't want to glorify WWE all, but the network I really enjoy because you can go back and see all the old stuff. I, I find myself going back and looking at the old WCW and the old territorial stuff more and seeing some of their interview segments and watching that more so than any of the current product. I think, I got to be honest, the last current match that I really sat through and watched with intent was probably that Boneyard match. And I think with Taker wrapping everything up in his career this year, I think that's the best way for him to go out. That match was great, in my opinion. Granted, it was more of a cinematic movie than a match, but, man, 
it was pretty damn good. Yeah, it was that's gotten acclaim as probably one of the better highlights for the WWE for this year. But there have been so many other lowlights, and it's and especially watching how there's almost a war now between talent in the WWE and the corporate side of the WWE. And certainly, I think you would agree with me when the WWE started went public. You know, and started worrying about investors and started worrying about, you know, how do we make a profit so that we can generate that for stockholders? Their whole their whole focus changed yeah. on how they were approaching the product. Plus, and, you can't and, offend anybody. It, be, it became absolute PG. And uh, wrestling is like a good action movie. You know, it's about revenge. The face gets revenge on the heel. Who yes. did something dastardly? It, it's like watching a movie. You have to care. If you don't care, it's just two guys doing moves. Well, and yeah, it's the the premise is what I think also is missing. One one major reason being because there's a hundred titles out there right now, and they change constantly. Um, have you noticed that? I mean. I, right now, I can't even tell you who the tag team champions are. I have no idea. you probably yeah. tell me, and I'd go, okay, yes. But then I'd say, how long have they held the belts? And if it's for two weeks, then you've probably like, become one of the longest reigning champions in WWE yeah. modern history. <laughs> you know, it's, it's ridiculous. I mean, the tag team title is like held on in, a, in a matter of hours now. As opposed to like you know people holding it like demolition for two and a half years kind of thing, and so you don't really identify anymore with the champions. You feel that's another big thing. I mean, I mean Brock Lesnar holds the title and that that's identifiable, but he only defends it once or twice a year. I think what you, in my opinion, I think what you're talking about there is the person that makes the title rather than title making the person. Like Demolition, Lesnar, these are people that you recognize and people that you know, and they don't really need a title to get over. It's going to help business, and it's going to help, you know what I mean, sell stuff and merch. But they're using these titles to try and make people, and I don't agree with strapping up somebody that hasn't earned it. You know what I mean? And I don't, I definitely, whenever I see somebody, oh, you deserve it, you deserve it. Man, if you feel like you deserved it, then I don't know what to tell you. You should feel like you've earned it, and it's and it's well earned. I don't get down with that deserve. But I also think because there's a title for everybody now. I mean, you've got the U.S. title, you've got intercontinental title, you have the heavyweight sure. title. You you know, every so often they'll throw in a TV title. They'll throw in a light heavyweight championship. They'll have a U.S. tag belt. They'll have the world tag belt. There'll be stuff for just SmackDown. There'll be stuff for just Raw it gets to a point where the, you don't really have somebody fighting for a title doesn't mean as much as it did when Hogan or, or certainly if we go back to Bruno San Martino, you know, oh, every, everyone was wondering when would Bruno lose the belt? When would Hogan lose the belt? It created that kind of intrigue. And I don't feel there's any kind of intrigue when a title changes hands because you feel, well, it will just change hands at the next pay-per-view. Yeah. You know, and, no and that, kind of drama, that kind of drama isn't there anymore. I just remember one of the feuds that really motivated me when I was growing up was the Tito Santana versus Greg the Hammer Valentine, the Intercontinental belt. And when Tito finally took the championship, 
you know, was that in WrestleMania one, right? I believe when he so. beat Greg the Hammer Valentine, when uh, Tito Santana. I believe Greg... it was. Yeah, Kevin? and and I, I, I don't. Nuts went for that. I know it's 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 the years are adding up, you know, on all of us, and it's kind of becoming kind of a, a blend of some of these things. But but I just remember how I don't think it was at WrestleMania one though. Oh, was it? It was. I don't think. It was another. It was another. Uh, uh, but they did show on TV, and I remember when they showed that and how nuts I went for that entire match and wanting to see Tito Santana get revenge on Greg the Hammer Valentine and win that title. The title was so uh, sewed into that entire feud that it really made you know when Tito won the, the title from Greg Valentine mean something. And I I don't even know who the Intercontinental Champion is now. I couldn't name the last three of them if you told me, if you asked me to. That's my favorite title too, by the way, the IC title. You always knew you were getting a good match. Always. Let me let me just say something about the IC title for those who don't know. Since we're talking history, um, Bruno loses the belt. Billy Graham holds it for about ten months. Okay, Graham loses it to Backlund, and Backlund's not the draw that Bruno was. So all of a sudden, the idea is let's have a secondary title that means something. So there were nights at Madison Square Garden and all around the circuit where the IC title, whether it was Morocco, Patera, Tito, you know, whoever the case may be, you know, where that meant more to the fans than Backlund's match. When Morocco was wrestling Snooker, we were there to see that more so than Backlund's match, ironically. So they really built up that belt. And at one point, Pedro Morales held it twice. Morales had been the world champion. So that really meant something, that he had that belt, and people took it very seriously. And um, those were some great, great matches. I mean, think about the early guys that held that belt. These are top 10 or 20 all-time greats. Morocco, Patera, you know. uh, Savage. Yeah, Savage. I mean. Ultimate Warrior. Oh, Ultimate Warrior wasn't a great wrestler, but he was a great draw. Yeah. Yeah, Sure, yeah. Yeah, so and- nowadays, if you put a million dollars cash in front of me, and I'm a wrestling fan, and you said name six WWE champions, I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. All I remember is Randy Orton won it recently for the 14th time, I believe. But other than that, I, I couldn't name any of these guys because I don't care. I just don't care. So yeah, what do you think? Oh, Sorry. Once they've lost that emotional investment, I mean, that's the product just it continues to to go out of whack, man. It's it's terrible. It's terrible. What do right? you think the wrestling needs to do to try to get people to care again? They're trying to bring back these older guys, and that's just not working for them. They brought Edge back, but with the virus timing, that really hurt them. But still, it's they're trying to reach back into that nostalgia barrel, and I don't know. I think. I liken it back to the early 90s, whenever the guys were going back and forth between WWF and WCW and all that transition was happening and people were like, what are they going to do? What are they going to do? And we're not going to get another attitude error. We're just not. It's not going to happen. But they need to come up with some kind of a fresh idea that is akin to that, that works in the environment that we have today. 
And until they do that, we're just going to keep getting reserved the same old leftovers. Yeah, and it's it's not. I mean, the ratings show that that's not working, you know, well at all. And do do you watch any AEW or uh, or NXT or uh, the other feds? Now, I like NXT, and I like what they've got going on as far as storytelling and the way they build their matches up to the pay-per-views and stuff like that. I don't have access to AEW unless it's online, so I've only seen a few of their shows. And other than what, I would like to be able to see what Jericho's doing and some other stuff going on there, but they really, they're not making me want to watch. You know what I mean? Interesting. Interesting. what what do you think is the missing element that would make you want to watch AEW more? I don't know. A lot of these channels have got themselves set up so if you don't have cable, it's kind of difficult to watch their stuff on a week-to-week basis. They need to come up with some kind of platform. I don't know if AEW has a week-to-week website where you can watch their shows or not. I don't know if they do. I'm not I'm not subscribed to it. I like New Japan a lot because they got a really good website where you can watch stuff. But I don't know. It's just I appreciate what AEW is doing, and I don't want people to think that I'm dumping on AEW because I'm not. It just it doesn't. It's not a, a draw to me. And as far as what could they do, I don't know. Something really cutting edge. Uh, the intergender stuff doesn't work for me. But uh, so, ra- rather than us um, tear down what's happening today, tell us your greatest matches live that you've seen. Live matches. One of the first things that comes to mind, if you're a real wrestling fan, and we're talking wrestling of the late 80s WWF, you remember when Rick Rude was slapped by Jake the Snake's wife, and it started that whole run. Well, that happened at a TV taping in Cape Girardeau, Missouri, that we had went to, and they taped like five superstars, superstars of wrestling, the Saturday morning show they had on the hour. And they, I watched Rick Rude wrestle like four times that day. Yeah. And one of the times he come down, they shot that angle. Well, there was about 10 minutes of it that didn't make it to TV, and not because it was too racy, just because it got cut down. Of all them fighting through the crowd and, and Jake coming down and ripping the tights off and all that stuff, and that was really, really fun to be there for that. And then uh, I was at Judgment Day, I believe it was 2003 maybe, whenever The Undertaker fought red and yellow hogan in nashville and that was fun to see and triple h fought y2j in the hell in the cell there and that was the same event where edge shaved kurt angle's head and after that angle ran the ball the whole time after and then uh i was also at the very first pay-per-view after 9-11 in st louis no mercy and just the feeling inside that place when they played the national anthem i People talk about the roof was going to blow off the joint, but to hear the USA chants and, you know what I mean, to get that after all that had just happened, and then we had to go through such levels of security to get into that Savas Center in St. Louis that night. It was ridiculous, but it was just to, to hear that and feel that, you really did feel like the roof was going to blow up, man. Well, so we I've, I've gotten to see quite a few good good matches. We came back from 9-11. Hopefully, uh, 20 years later, we'll come back from this COVID because this has been a rough year for everybody. So, uh, As someone that travels a lot, I'm a traveling writer, Evan. As you know this, I've come to visit you guys out there several times. I miss my New York City family. Team Splendid, hello, Naya, everybody out there, Bill. I miss all these people. 
And it's like I'm not getting able to see my family without being able to travel. So for me, it's been a really, really rough year. I got the motorcycle, though, so I'm sowing the seeds for future projects. So, And I see so. maps behind you, so you really are a, a traveler. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, man, I tell you what, travel fills the soul. It really does. I mean, your job's going to fill your wallet, and you can do all you can to try and have all these material things, but get out and experience the world a little bit and see some of life. You know what I'm saying? That's that's what I'm all about. Well, part of this show is the fact that we can't go anywhere. So if I try to do the next best thing, which is, you know, interview people in places that I can't be in thanks to COVID. So every week I take a little bit of New York City and put that in my house and then you know, St. Louis, Missouri, or, or where are you at right now? Are you in St. Louis, or I'm in Denver, Colorado. Here's Salute Denver, to Colorado. Colorado. It's the base, <laughs> of course, of course. But you know, we're so we're coast to coast to inland right now. You know, and it's great that you know we're able to stretch ourselves across the United States and and get a little bit of a different view of how everything is around around there. Now, are you uh, close to? To Denver, where you where you where yeah, you here? I'm about 15 minutes, 20 minutes from downtown Denver. I'm out by the airport. So uh, uh, Golden, are you in, in Golden or? And it's actually called uh, Green Valley Ranch is the name of the subdivision, but it's real close to DIA. I could be at the airport in 10 minutes if I wanted to. Very nice. No, yeah, it's, wonderful. Wonderful. Oh yeah, if I could get out there and use it, it'd be great. <laughs> and your yeah. mall there has that wonderful buffalo burger place yeah oh well i work at a bison steakhouse so yeah that i that, that's one of the places there's only two places i've had buffalo one is tommy's joint in downtown san francisco the other one is uh over at the uh bison place it was really fantastic yeah colorado hey one of one one of my very good friends uh who passed away unfortunately hate to say it a couple days from now um will be the ninth anniversary of the loss of mark bison smith um, not sure if you ever had a chance to know him because yeah, he, he, he was uh, an indie wrestler out here in California, but he, has his, he had his roots in Colorado. So, so I heard a lot about Colorado from him. It's a nice place to be at. You know, it's, it's a, if, I, if I had to live somewhere inland, I'd, I'd want to live in Colorado. It's beautiful. Yeah. I love it here. And you get, we get like 300 plus days of sunshine a year. You know, so it's people always think it's freezing cold and snow. We get snow from probably November to May. You can be snowed on, but it might snow today and be melted off three days from now and the roads are clear and it's sunny again. So it's it's all in your perspective. I I ride the motors as long as there's not ice on the road. I'm on the bike, man. Wow. Well, very good. But be careful. Be careful. (laughs) I fell over a scooter earlier this year and broke my shoulder. So oh, I just, you know, yeah, motorcycles are, are certainly out out of the question. Um, have you had a chance to actually meet wrestlers in person? And if so, which ones have you met? Oh, I've met, man, Tommy Rich. I've met him at a independent. He was a real nice guy in person. And then, uh, man, uh, Al Snow. I met him at OSCW in South Carolina whenever he was working with them. Uh, the British Bulldog's son, uh, man, I can't, uh, Smith, Harry Smith, I met him. I actually had to sit down with uh, Axel Rotten about, 
I don't know, about eight months before he passed. I was I used to live in Savannah, Georgia. I'm kind of a rolling stone. I've lived all over the country. I'm like I say, travel, you know. So whenever I was down there, I was in the Southeast wrestling circuit and, and friends with those guys. And I was at a wrestling show in Columbia. And I got to sit and talk to Axel before the show because I was there with another one of the wrestlers, Bordell Walker. And uh, shout out to Bordell. And yeah, it's the conversation. We just sat there and shot the shit. You know what I mean? It wasn't like, oh, let me get your autograph because I don't. I'm not the autograph picture type of person. Like, like I said, I want to get to know the people. I'm not. I don't want them to automatically be like, oh, this guy. You know what I mean? Or I don't want them to take that that tone. But yeah, I've gotten to meet a bunch of guys, a bunch of guys in person. Snitsky. I don't know if you remember him. You remember Gene Snitsky? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very well. <laughs> If you get a handshake from that guy, that was a running joke with a few of my friends. Man, that guy will break your hand if he shakes your hand doing the old school handshake. It's like, <laughs> there's been a lot of really cool guys that you meet. One of one of the proudest moments and one of the saddest moments that I had in wrestling involves Snitsky. Uh, Smackdown in Sacramento, I won tickets to from the radio show, and uh, Snitsky actually had a uh, match against my friend Tony Jones, the shooter Tony Jones. His ring entrance was three times longer than the match itself. I was proud to see Tony in there, but Snitsky like <laughs> hit him in the stomach, powerbombed him, and the thing was over in about 45 seconds. So, right. you know, it's, it's great to see your friend get in the ring, but you're like, boy, couldn't they have just let him have just even a move against Snitsky? But, uh, you know, that, that, hey, look, you'll take the payday when you can get it, you know, that kind of thing. But uh, Tony Jones is a, a really nice guy. One of these days we'll get him on the show. And he was in uh, uh, Beyond the Mat, the movie Beyond the Mat, which Evan knows a few things about. And, and, and Jim mentioned Bordell Walker. This guy is tremendous. He's very underrated. I mean, if you know, if you know wrestling, Bordell Walker is a top-notch guy. I, he, he hasn't worked for WWE. I mean, he's deserving. I've seen him do several dark matches, and it just seems like the, 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 the timelines for him and them never quite line up. I would really, one of the top ten people that I know that I would love to see get a, a big break. He's wrestled all the big names all across the independents all over the country. Yeah, you know, it's, I've seen him live. I'm impressed every time I see him, and I'm jaded. I mean, the guy—the guy's the real deal. So yeah, yeah, he—he he can go, man. He can go. There's a real famous story that um, amongst the the buddies and stuff that uh, Scott, not Scott Steiner, Rick Steiner, had tried him in the ring because he thought, you know, what I mean, this is a young kid cutting his teeth or whatever. He thinks he's hot shit, and and Rick tried him in the ring, and Bordell backed him up and put him down. You know what I mean? And let him know it's I'm not going to be ran over like that. It's a real. I would. I want to. I don't want to tell his story for him, but it's real, a real famous story in the cliques. Speaking of stories, which of your stories, articles, historical pieces, however you want to label them, are you proudest of? Which come to mind? I really like the work that I've been able to do with the, the Glow girls, the Roxy Astor interview I really enjoyed, and then I talked to Patricia Summerlin and Jeannie. Um, Kevin Sullivan was a really fun interview. That guy, man, I could talk to him about wrestling all night. And then, of course, John McGuire. I would have to, uh, man, maybe that, that Sullivan interview might stick out as maybe 
one of my favorites. I love them all. It's hard to say. You know what I mean? It's pick which actually, child you like the best. <laughs> I actually went to Florida mid-80s on vacation and saw Sullivan's Army live. And, man, that, that was an amazing, amazing group of people. Mark Lewin and Bob Roop and uh, the whole deal. And uh, the main event that night was Flair and Wahoo McDaniel in a cage. Okay. Mm -hmm. And Sullivan's Army, you know, under that. I mean, that's how, you know, loaded those shows were back in those days. And, um, yeah, it was uh, quite a gimmick. And people don't realize, you know, in the 80s, that was very controversial. Like Sullivan doing Satan kind of stuff. And, uh, and the Fallen uh, Angel. Yeah, Fallen yeah, Angel. Yeah, Fallen Angel. Yeah, no, I, even out here in California, even though they never performed out here, uh, they were pretty legendary, you know. Uh, uh, for for the, the purple haze was yeah, that was Mark Lewin. That was Mark oh, Lewin. Mark yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, it was. I, I always wanted to watch them perform, but we never were able to. Except you know, on the rare cases that I got to see Mid South Wrestling out here. You know, they had Mid South Wrestling on cable. Now, if you could go throughout time and interview somebody, anybody, living or dead, who would you do an interview with? Wrestling business alone, because I'm diversified interest. There's a lot of people I'd like to talk to, but wrestling business alone, man, Randy Savage would be pretty high up there for me just because I've been such a fan for so long. But uh, Rick Rude, if I could. So let's go back to Randy oh. Savage. Let's go back to Randy Savage. Sure. What, one question you get to ask him. What do you? What's the first question you ask? Wow. I'd have to ask him about uh, the mega powers and if there was any real heat between him and Hogan and how much of that was based in reality. Because, my God, two of the biggest egos in the business at the time, throw Elizabeth in the mix, there had to have been a little bit of reality there somewhere, you know? Yeah. No. Okay. And then you were going to name some other wrestlers that you would want to wanna interview. Oh, man. Rick Rude would be a great one to interview. Um, Ray Stevens. I couldn't think of his name. And for a California boy, I mean, that guy, he's the epitome of, of how to get over in the business, man. He, he put other people over and got himself over at the same time. He worked both sides. It was, yeah. Stevens I've, interviewed, I've interviewed hundreds of people over 30 years radio tv film and i'm telling you guys for a fact so many of the legends tell me that ray stevens was the greatest of all time prime ray stevens i saw him in the 80s you know wwf awa he had already lost a step or two but it, but ray stevens cow palace ray oh, man ray stevens you know, 10 years earlier. He was our Ric Flair. Yeah, he yeah, yeah. Ray Stevens was our Ric Flair. Pat Patterson was our Hulk Hogan for the Bay Area. Oh, yeah. Right? The, the, those two guys sold everything out. We had, we also had the lucky, the fortune of seeing uh, Peter Maivia, you know, and, and Pepper Gomez. They were always, you know, sellouts whenever they would show up, uh, show up out here. You know, I didn't get to see him wrestle, but my, my great grandmother was a huge wrestling fan and she used to whack the guys with her purse because they would come down the aisle and, and the wrestlers knew who she was so it was 
it, it skipped a couple generations, and then it finally hit me. You know, my my dad has nothing to do with wrestling, and and most of my other family, you know, uh, uh, turns their nose at it. But uh, but it just shows that it's sort of it can be built in, even generations go by. There's the wrestling bug will finally get you. Well, let me flip the interviews. Let me flip it on you. What drew yeah. you? What drew you to wrestling? If it skipped, if you say your family doesn't wasn't involved in it, what what drew you to the business? I, I am I am a true connoisseur of the fighting arts. I mean, I really and I don't watch fighting for fighting's sake. I watch it like an art project. I I analyze it and I watch everything about it. I mean, every little whether it's it's two guys doing sword fighting on TV or a Bruce Lee movie or, you know, Western fight or Batman, the old Adam West Batman stuff or Star Trek. You know, if it's if it's choreographed fighting, I find that to be about the most fascinating thing I can watch. And you know what? Isn't that the way the world is? Because why would that stuff not be popular as popular as it is internationally if people didn't find that? fascinating so but what i found well i was thinking about this because i now do a draw a job where i do a lot of driving and i was trying to think of why i love wrestling so much and and it went from being just a living cartoon like you guys were talking about like you were mentioning and yet now i've seen the other side of it so much that it's become a human side thing for me and it's the human element i never thought i would love wrestling for the side that has nothing to do with wrestling in it the human element of it but i do buddy um i'm finishing a book now um basically a short story collection on on my life and some of the legends i've worked with um you know befriended some of them slept on my couch etc so on and um you know i have pieces on wrestling promoters burned through hundreds of thousands of dollars and died in welfare hotels. Died in welfare hotels. And I, one promoter, I was at his memorial service. I was the only person connected to wrestling there. So he squandered his life fortune, his life savings, his, his uh, a small fortune died in a welfare hotel, okay? So I'm doing a book that's all about the other side of pro wrestling, not all grim by any means. I was on a plane with Johnny Valiant on 9-11, what that experience was like, etc. so on. And like human interest pieces. And getting back to where we started at the beginning of the interview with Jim, I'm more interested in these larger-than-life personalities, who they are as human beings, what they've been through, as opposed to this angle in 1977 or, you know, this booker in 1982 or this result. Because Johnny Valiant was also an actor, and he said to me, you know, Evan, Al Pacino could walk down the street with sunglasses and a baseball cap and nobody will notice him, but the wrestlers are larger than life. Not just because they're big. They're they're so charismatic, the stars. And um, some of these guys are fascinating human beings who you know have 
wined and dined with kings and queens, like Dusty Rhodes said, or they've seen the other side of it where they're pushing a broom after it's all over, or working the door of a strip club after the glory's over. They've been to the top, they've been to the bottom. And, you know, these are some amazing stories. And, you know, sometimes I just lose patience with the obsessives who, you know, let me give you 20,000 wrestling results. Well, you know, Bruno and Killer Kowalski wrestled hundreds of times. Bruno and Waldo Von Erich wrestled hundreds of times. Bruno and George Steele wrestled hundreds of times. Maybe not, maybe some of that isn't as interesting as tell me about George the Animal Steel, you know, his, the other side of his life where the guy's working in a school, you know? Yeah. yeah, I mean, that to me is more interesting, you know? So it's a fascinating business, and Jim does amazing work, uh, formerly with Gorilla Position, now with ProWrestlingStories.com, and uh, Jim. Post. Pro wrestling, Pro wrestling post, post Mark can, Madison. Can you tell me, is there a difference between what you're doing for uh, for Pro Wrestling Stories or for the grill position? Is there grill is there position is done for the most? Basically, Pro Wrestling Stories bought them up. But yeah. but do you find that you're doing anything different now that you're in Pro Wrestling Stories versus when you were at the grill position? Really, I don't I don't think so. No, because. I try to do more of the the fireside chat storytelling end of things, so I kind of got a niche for myself there that not a lot of other guys are taking advantage of. You, but uh, I don't think so. I, I I like to think I'm still doing the same thing. We don't have a lot of at the gorilla position. I did a lot of running series where I would do a ten or twelve part series, and they're really we don't do that type of long running series at pro wrestling stories. It's each story stands on its own merit. So that's, other than that, I don't, you know what I mean? I don't see a difference there. I love it there, though. I love working with these guys. And I wanted to mention Pro Wrestling Post. I want to make sure to mention that because Mark does a good job as well at trying oh, to, yeah. to get into the storytelling end of things. And it's not just a spewing of facts. Oh, that's, that's you know, we, we go, we've gone over that and, and, and all the that sort of thing. And there's, you know... I. I did want to, to, to ask you, because I do ask all of you wrestling historians the same question. Why is pro wrestling history important? For my, for my point of view, and the most honest, forthright answer I can give, it's because of these guys, not just the guys that were on top, but all the guys that have been in the business who have went out and wrestled for nothing, traveled all over the country and gotten their bodies handed back to them crippled for nothing just like evan was just saying their legacies deserve to be preserved and they've earned that and i for me that's what it's about it's you can hear the same stories about and i'm not discounting savage and steamboat wrestlemania 3 by any means but you can hear that story all day long there's other stories out there that are just as good that can be told that it will engage you and make you love the business just as much you know what i mean so for me it's about maintaining that legacy more than anything else and opening people's eyes maybe someone that's not a wrestling fan that reads that story that's like man that was a really interesting story about that person and maybe it makes them want to learn more about the business that they didn't know before and let me just add to that 
legendary wrestlers have literally appeared around the world on TV in, in huge arenas. They've entertained millions upon millions of people. This is pop culture that deserves to be documented and means something to a lot of people. And again, going back to the start of the show, you know, these are your fondest childhood memories as well. So I tell people all the time, you know, I'll rattle off 20 great musicians that I love, but I'll also say some of the best nights of my life was seeing heel Roddy Piper at Madison Square Garden and Bruno and uh, superstar Billy Graham and the building shook, the building shook. Seeing Ric Flair and Philly, you know, I mean, these were some of the best nights of my life looking back. And, you know, I, I'm not a kid anymore. So, you know, when you, when you can make a statement like that, it means something to you and it means something to a lot of people. And my childhood heroes might not be somebody else's childhood heroes who's younger or older than me, but they could say they could tell you the same thing. My cousin's from England. He talks about seeing the guys in Liverpool when he was a kid. And with the same passion. I was with my dad. My dad's gone. I saw uh, you know, I saw Big Daddy and Giant Haystacks with the same feeling, you know, and this means something to a lot of people and it deserves to be documented and it deserves to be documented the way Jim does it with passion and feeling and not just an obsessive collection of dates. And, you know, uh, like Buddy said at the beginning, this match was three minutes and 12 seconds. That's not the point. The way I Jim does it. Thank you very it. much for that. I thank you very you much. Know, I mean for that. it. I mean, that to me. Yeah. So, Jim, we're, we're, we're almost out of time here, um, but I want to get just a real quick thought from you about, like, the future of wrestling. Where do you think it's headed? Do you think we're ever going to recover from this COVID crisis and people will be able to pack arenas again and we'll get back the live audience, which is obviously a big missing element to what makes wrestling great? Yeah, you need to, they need to be able to feed off of the kinetic energy in the building and off of those fans it's hard to say. I think that as far as the COVID and the, and the virus and all that goes with the flu season coming up, it might be getting worse before it gets better. I don't want to sound pessimistic, but as far as large gatherings of people, I don't know. The, I'm not a big fan of the digital audience that we've got right now. I don't, I don't really buy into that much. The business itself is, is cycles, and I think it'll come back around. Hopefully, they'll come up with something inventive to to grab our attention and like i said earlier i want to give you that fish hook to to draw you in that's what that's what i really want but i don't know it's such a everything's so different right now you know what i mean it, i don't remember in my lifetime going through anything like this ever before ever you know no, so and it just crept up and it, it jumped up out of nowhere too you know it was just like people it, there was rumors about it and the next thing you know man it's yeah everything's to a screeching halt it's crazy Hopefully next year we won't be having a discussion like this. But hopefully um, soon, soon. Hopefully, I want to travel again. Yes. Um, uh, so we're running out of time. I want you to have enough time to promote any projects that are coming up. Uh, your yes. website, anything that you'd like to to tell our viewers about. 
Well, upcoming on uh, the Pro Wrestling Stories, there's going to be a story this week that coincides. Today is the first day of the November Grand Sumo Tournament in Japan, and it runs for the next six, 15 days through the 22nd. So this week's, uh, I'm going to have an article about sumo and how it's ingrained more into the professional wrestling business than most people realize. Cool. It's not just the, the regular gimmicks. There's a lot more going on there. So, yeah, I'm real happy about that. And uh, with the acquisition of the motorcycle, it's been a long time coming, but I'm trying to move on to that cross-country road trip where I videotape wrestling all over the country and paranormal haunted stuff all over the country. I've got several different passions. Um, I've used this time to try and stage myself to launch into something new, you know, so that's, that's where I'm at right now. But Hey, if you're in San Francisco, look me up. You know, oh, if, you're, if you're I'm, out in the Bay Area, I, I'll, I'll take you to wherever. You, we can meet at the Winchester Mystery House. You can, you know. That's on the, that's a list on the, yeah, that's on the list of stops that I would like places I want to go. Uh, Eastern State Penitentiary. the oh, Winchester, been there. The Winchester House. I've got the Stanley Hotel right in my backyard. So I go up to Estes Park and visit the Stanley on a regular basis. So, yeah, all these haunted places. My buddy Bobby out in New York. He's got some haunted places we're going to go to. Plan a trip so. over to the Queen Mary in Long Beach. Oh, excellent. Excellent. You're talking my game now. See, it's, I've been in all these haunted places. I've never seen a ghost, but I've been to all these haunted yeah. places. So I get, um, uh, I get a feeling like I've got a weight on my chest, almost like uh, like a, a big, I don't know, like, like a heavy weight, hard to breathe and tightness in my chest. Every time I've been someplace that I know for sure something bad has happened. So, Wow. Uh, well, hopefully you're yeah, not we, getting that feeling during this interview. That's, that's as, long <laughs> as, as long as you're, you're, you don't have that going on during the interview, we'd love to have you as a guest again on the show. You've been absolutely delightful. You made this hour just disappear like, it, like we just got started talking, it feels like. Yeah, and, we can uh, do this all day, boys. We could do it all yeah. day. Anytime you want to have me back, you just let me know, and I'm all in. We'd be glad to have you as a guest again. And uh, why don't you uh, mention how the fans could could uh, check out Pro Wrestling Stories, and if they want to get a hold of you, how they could do that? Uh, check me out on my Facebook, Jim Phillips, or you can go to ProWrestlingStories.com, ProWrestlingPost.com. Uh, if you look up GorillaPosition.com, it's archived at Pro Wrestling Stories, and we'll route you back through there. I've got probably 10 pages of work at the Gorilla Position that you can go and see. Uh, the YouTube is going to be coming up soon. So, yeah, keep your eyes open. Things are coming. I've got the introduction in John McGuire's book, My Life in Heaven Town. It's on Amazon. Support John. I, he's a good friend of mine. So, yeah, it's I'm out there. And, and speaking of books, Mickey Doyle's book is out. Just came out. Irish Mickey Doyle. He was on this show about two weeks ago. And, nice. Uh, yeah, that'll be Keep that's available read. on Amazon. And Mickey's a good guy. And talk Great about interview. living living history. That the guy worked everywhere. So uh, support yeah, Mickey Doyle's it. book as well. Yeah. But this was a great interview too, and we really appreciated having you. And that's all the time that we have for this week. So we'll say goodbye to everybody and see everyone next week. Thank Thanks, you so Jeff. much for being our Thanks, guest. My brothers. Peace. Thank you. Have a good night.